Welcome back to another episode of Public Problems. I'm your host, as always, Justin Bullock. Looking forward to um, bringing this uh, episode to you. We've shifted from live to recorded. I think the quality of some of the capturing the live, something that I want to work on. Uh, and so we're taking a little bit of break from doing it actually live, but I'm recording it without uh, any real edits. Um, so it'll be brought to you in the same kind of format. Uh, thanks to those of you that have been following along. We've got the YouTube channel up and uh, running. If you haven't uh, haven't yet, subscribe to us on YouTube on Public Problems with Justin Bullock. And check out the fan page um, that's on Facebook. It's also Public Problems with Justin Bullock. And uh, if you're enjoying the content and enjoying the show and the shorts uh, and the other type of content that I've been creating, um, would be helpful to support me on Patreon. You can do that there for $3, $5, or $7 a month. There you just look for Justin Bullock on Patreon. You can also follow along on my website, justinbullock.org. Okay, enough for the front end matter. Today I'm really excited. I'm going to be discussing the story of us part two with you. It's important to note that we aren't following the same breakup that Tim Urban does in the parts one uh, two, three, and so on that he has. We're going our own way, as it were, um, but we're going to cover chapter three today, and um, there's a lot here, so it's the only thing that we're going to be talking about today. Um, one, because I want these videos to be a little bit shorter, and two, because again, I think there's plenty here for you today. Okay, um, with that in mind, let's jump right in. Uh, we've been we left the Who Are We part one and part two, and now this is part two of the story of us. And I hang around with the story of us uh, for at least one more part before we maybe take a break and check out some other things as well. Um, I'll also be bringing you some interviews in the next couple of weeks um, on the YouTube channel. So keep an eye out for those. All right, with all of that in mind, let's do a quick review. So this is available as a picture on the fan page. Um, the top left there, we have the giant and the emergent uh, emergence tower. So are also going to be shorts about. And if you remember, we talked about how when humans come together into in small groups, that sometimes their behavior is often described in large part by the behavior of the larger group. And we talked about how this gave rise to giants. And giants are collections of people that kind of reached the size of thousands. This is tribes of tribes hanging out. Um, think about the size of, say, a Game of Thrones uh, clan. So, uh, and we talked about that a long emergence tower, um, that individual uh, levels of emergence, emergence often describe behavior better than the lower levels of emergence. So what do I mean by that? Uh, if you can remember the emergence tower over there, that it runs from basic things like particles and atoms and cells and organs and organ systems to animals and groups of animals and large groups of animals. And we talked about how there across some animals, there's a difference uh, between maybe where it makes sense to distinguish where the behavior is coming from. So the example was ants versus spiders, whereas spiders are sort of on their own, their level of emergence for their behavior maybe makes more sense to talk about them in isolation, 
Whereas for ants, the colony is really the overriding level of emergence for us to be focused with. Um, so humans, uh, we talked about kind of go up and down this ladder of both being an individual and then being part of a large collective where both things uh, in part determine their behavior. Okay, so um, the idea at the end of this and as we started this new chapter is that there's a limit to the size of these giants pulled together based on tribes. And uh, Urban highlights that in chapter three at the beginning to show that um, once you get outside of your immediate family, um, ties get really tricky for bonding together in a tribal way. Um, and as families get larger, they have a tendency to branch off and care about only smaller units uh, within that larger group. And so this tribal glue, what we have just from a, uh, a loyalty to our families, which was what has traditionally driven a lot of, of human behaviors at the tribe level, is these tribes had, uh, had their limits. What we're going to learn today is that these tribes have become super giants. Uh, we've gone from these tribal si uh, sizes to tens of millions of people. And these are, uh, are super large giants. Um, and the question is, how do we give rise to these super, uh, super giants where we have large nation states and large religions that dominate so much of the narratives? To do that, Urban tells a story. And that's where I'm going to shift now to talk about the Johnsons. The Johnsons, you can imagine as a family here, of a mom and dad, and of a, of a daughter, Lulu, and of a doggy, Mooch. And the Johnsons have a problem, the parent of Johnsons. And the problem is that both Mooch and Lulu are misbehaving. Every time the doors open, Mooch takes off. Lulu is sneaking off at night with the local bad boy to see what kind of trouble she can get into. So the Johnsons are trying to figure out ways to change their behavior so that it's more in line with what they view as beneficial. So what do you what do they what, what kind of choices do they have for Mooch? So for Mooch, they can give Mooch snossages. As Urban uses, they can give uh, Mooch treats to do positive things. And they can put a fence around Mooch's environment. They can change Mooch's uh, literal access to different physical places of space. Um, and so those are two things that you can do to, to uh, change Mooch's environment so that Mooch behaves differently given Mooch award, uh, rewards for certain types of behaviors and fencing off different parts of the environment that you physically don't allow Mooch to go. Um, people use other tools as well um, in training dogs, but this sort of highlights that for the dog, for the most part, the primal motivations stay the same. The way in which you change uh, Mooch's behavior is by changing uh, Mooch's environment. 
And you can do that through a number of ways, through positive rewards or limiting access or denying of certain rewards. Those things lead to change in behavior. Punishment or the cudgel, which is something we'll get to in a little bit, also has the uh, consequence of changing behavior as well. So when you think about an animal's behavior, you can think about it as determined by two different things. Their primal motivations to survive, their animal survival software, as you might recall from previous uh, episodes, and their environment. And those things can shape one another to some degree. Um, and they shape one another to um, predict or uh, give rise to an animal's behavior. It's a combination of their primal motivations and their environment. But as we talked about last week, humans have something else going on with their primal motivations. They have both this um, primitive mind, which is the primitive motivations, but they also have the higher mind, which allows them to have reason and empathy and imagination, and they can represent symbols and communicate. And those things together here allow for humans uh, decision-making to be predicted in some different ways um, and to give, to give rise from different factors. So you have the primal motivations, the PM there as one of the motivations, but you also have their morals and their values um, that, uh, uh, that come up from a few things that we're going to see here um, in particular stories, um, but their cultural narratives, things that uh, they have reasoned through um, or uh, discussed with others to give rise to their morals and values. These are things that uh, arise predominantly within the higher mind, as it were. So with humans, it's this combination of our, our animal software, our survival software, our primal motivations, and then uh, reasons and morals and values. And um, our environment also looks a little different um, uh, than it does for the way in which we thought about the animals. And that is that knowledge tells us more about our environment. And so knowledge can alter uh, how we view our environment. But at the same time, when having knowledge in our environment, we also have delusions, which means that we're not uh, in perfect accord with reality, with our environment. Um, and we have some pieces of knowledge that have helped us understand our environment even better than the animal could, um, uh, other animals. But we also have all these delusions uh, and those things together give rise to our behavior. So our primal motivations, our morals and values, and our knowledge and delusions about our environment um, are the things that Urban argues give rise to our behavior and that there seems to be uh, a lot of evidence for. Now, giving you the background for animal behavior versus uh, human behavior or the particular animal that is human. And one of the things that we note here on the board is that stories can impact both, can impact people's knowledges and their delusions, knowledges, their knowledge and their delusions, and it can uh, impact their morals and their values. And that stories can serve as a way to bind larger groups of humans together, tens of millions instead of just thousands or hundreds of thousands. And that it's these stories that bind humans both across their, um, their primitive mind, their higher mind, 
and their environment and what they feel like they know about their environment to guide their behavior. And you can kind of think of these as a virus, um, which is how Urban describes them and other folks do as, as, as a collection of memes, which can function like viruses or a, couple, a, couple, a collection of ideas. And that there are some things that make a story uh, have the ability to go viral. Um, and they have a few different components that Urban talks about as part of that. Things like being uh, simple, uh, things like being not uh, easy to disprove um, and uh, having kind of this contagion factor. But over and above that, um, there are these kind of super glue stories that seem to have really stuck in the minds and environments of humans. And Urban argues that these super glue uh, stories, super glue, and that's, that's, that's a great rendition of a super glue tube there, have some basic ingredients for the ones that have survived uh, and, and thrived as stories. They have something that connects them to some tribal uh, values, some tribal ethos, some tribal stories, something that makes us common and has uh, exclusionary, uh, what makes us different from the other. Uh, a queen bee, this is a formal source of authority um, that can be the, the a book, that can be a, a, a dictator, that can be um, anything that is seen as the ultimate source of authority. And uh, then there's this identity attachment with individuals to the tribal values and to the authority and that people become attached to these stories as their main, uh, one of their main identity features. Um, and then the other piece is the use of a cudgel. And a cudgel is, uh, you can think of, Urban has a nice picture of one. It's uh, looks kind of like a, a stick with um, uh, <laughs> little metal things coming out of it and you can use it to, uh, to, to beat people as it were. Um, it's a way to uh, force, use violence to force people to adopt the story. So if the tribal values don't do it and the appeal to an ultimate source of authority, a queen bee and having people's identities attached to it doesn't do it, then um, you use violence uh, to make people conform either literally by killing the non-believers of the story or using violence as a way to threaten the believers to retain belief in the story, as it were. So those are the ingredients of some of the stories that have uh, stuck in, in our minds throughout history. And um, Urban gives some nice examples. You can think of our narratives around national identity, our narratives around religion, and our narratives around our political doctrines all um, often have these components of it's us versus them. There's an ultimate source of authority. People uh, attach their identity to it and, and internalize it as something that's really important to them. And there's some way of uh, forcing compliance or, or behavior among the, uh, the group. Now, as these giants have grown in size, we've continued to play the old power games, which is something that's come up earlier in this, um, in this series. And it's sort of this idea that it's a zero sum game that either I win or you win and the giants are fighting in an old fashioned fight, uh, wrestling ring, battling it out. And that the biggest, strongest giant is the one that wins. 
and that's the power games. And for all of our uh, growth uh, in ethics and morality and uh, having these morals and values and a higher mind, our giant versions of ourselves, uh, they're tied together by these stories are often still very primitive um, in the sense that they still have the zero sum component to them this uh, use of violence and competition at all costs. And the next chapter is going to focus on a way to get out of this. How do we take our collective selves, our giants that help determine in large part our, our behaviors as individuals, how do we get them out of this power games where violence is the, is the strategy that often wins and move it towards a more enlightened state, a cooperative state um, a positive sum reward game. And as we move forward um, in the next part and in the next chapter of uh, the series, you're going to see the story of how that mindset is starting to infiltrate the giants, but that it's a really hard balance to maintain. So that's chapter three, a story of stories from Tim Urban's Wait But, Wait but Why, uh, The Story of Us. And I uh, just want to say a few things here at the end. Uh, thanks for continuing to follow along. Please do subscribe on YouTube, uh, support on Patreon, like the fan page, and sharing a lot of things, including uh, YouTube videos like the ones that I'm doing, but also from other lectures and speeches, and sharing some poems and sharing some photos on the Facebook fan page that you might enjoy. And um, so give that a look. I'll continue to be publishing shorts throughout this week of key concepts. So I hope you're enjoying those. And uh, as we march towards early July, I'll have a number of things that we'll be moving forward with and announcing. So thanks for following along. Hope you found this interesting and uh, have a wonderful day.